Welcome to another Ultra Rugby Roundup coming across the airwaves loud and clear with me, Gareth Hanna, our Adam McKendry. Hey guys. And Jonathan Bradley. Hello, how's it going? Yes, after some complaints on Twitter, we've got ourselves some brand new recording equipment, a new microphone. We may put a little picture up on Twitter, I'm very proud of it, I'm like a proud dad, but... I, do I don't, I don't think we should advertise the fact that people complained, so we did something. Uh, well, seriously, we listened to the... We were planning on doing something before people complained, uh, to be fair, to be fair, well, I, I just feel pressured now because we're in sort of, I mean, a very, like a 1% more professional recording studio here, and now I feel like we have to deliver. I just feel like we're all very close because we're quite around this Yeah, we are, yeah. Yeah, we are. But we can see our sound levels and all coming in. It feels like, feels like we're actually doing something proper, not just... Using a phone. Yeah, it only took Great. nine months. So. It's great. So, yeah, ahead of schedule, if anything. Well, this week, oh, with no matches to look back on, no matches to look forward to, uh, just yet anyway, um, we have a listener special. So we have loads of questions that have been coming in over Twitter, on the forums. Absolutely great. We appreciate them all, and we're going to try and get through as many of them as possible. Before that, though, we have a few news items to run over. Um, first of all, Everybody has basically retired eh, since we were last on. I mean, now we're going to lose Paul Marshall, Andrew Trimble, Robbie Dagg and Tommy Boo eh, to retirement at the end of this season. Um, Kyle McNeely asks, what are your favourite memories from these boys? Yeah, I mean, I had to actually check during the just to make sure that I hadn't retired without me realising, because um, everyone else seemed to. Um, oh, there's loads of favourite memories with a lot of these players because they've been here for so long. Um it's, you know, you're talking about decades long of service and Trimby actually even more than that. I'm going to go for a really recent Andrew Trimble memory and um, it's actually a little bit off the wall and not really anyone else's favourite memory at all. But uh, whenever we were in Bordeaux, myself and Adam, uh, what was that, two seasons ago? That was two seasons ago, yeah. And Andrew Trimble had been out injured for ages, I think he'd been out since the South Africa tour, so he was playing his first game mm-hmm. in uh, four months essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, he was captain, named captain that year, wasn't he? And then, yeah, so he was named captain, but hadn't been able to play at the start of the season. And then, the in his first game back, scored a try and absolutely smashed the Bordeaux winger with just a big rush out of the line, man ball tackle, all dumped into the ground. And for somebody that scored so many tries for Ulster, to me that's more of his trademark and that's when you mm. knew like Trimble was back and ready to go from injuries whenever he came up out of the line and smashed somebody. Like it didn't actually, in a way it was very noticeable in the way that Ulster were defending at the time. Um, when he was so aggressive in defence, like it made it stand out all the more. But then you see that, and then a month later, he goes and does the same thing to Julian Savea to mm. really help clinch that win over the All Blacks. So, like, for all about the tries, and like people talk about the one against Bath, and that's probably what you're going to talk about here, maybe. But um, for all that, like, whenever I think back years down the line about Andy Trimble, I just remember somebody who absolutely relished coming out of the line and smashing people. Don't assume what I'm going to say, Johnny, because right. that was not my uh, that was not my memory of Andrew right, Trimble. Well, we, sh- we should give an honourable mention to that, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, to that we, try away. Yeah, we mine. absolutely should. Mine. Mine's the try away to Bath. Okay, thank you, guys. No problem. <laughs> um, my favourite memory of Andrew Trimble, and only because it was my first ever European game that I went to see at the Old Ravenhill. Uh, it was against Toulouse. It was the 33 win glorious sunshine on a Saturday afternoon and Trimble scored a double and uh, that was just a fantastic day and that's my memory of Trimble. He was always a guy who came inside looking for work and I think that came from starting off his career as a centre. Really he was always coming inside looking to help out wherever he could. He wasn't just happy to stay on the wing and wait for the ball to come to him. He was trying to make things happen. and he was just a fantastic servant to Ulster for so long. They, they nicknamed him on the forums uh, the greatest living Ulster man. is uh, <laughs> probably not far off. So uh, just a fantastic career in the, in the white jersey. That actually came in uh, number six in my top five. 
uh, that I was doing for the paper last week, so it didn't make the cut. It was in there originally, <laughs> and then I took it out for something else that I can't remember. It's all a bit rushed. Uh, Andrew Trimble, great, great guy as well. Um, mm. Different, different guy. I think it's fair to say. Like, um, he's got a strange sense of humour. It's funny uh, how that comes to the forefront in everything people are saying about his strange sense of humour. It's because it makes good copy. So, like, <laughs> in what way? Give us an example. Um, of this, the, the strange sense of humour I don't think this was on there I think this was actually in a talk he was giving it's where I was at where he uh, was asked about how he'd come back into the Ireland squad so it would have been 2014 so basically just uh, um, whenever Joe Schmidt came in he actually he won his 50th cap under Les Kiss during that tour before before Joe Schmidt arrived it was really under Joe Schmidt that his international renaissance happened well one of them because he, he came back so many times after people had written him off but it, it looked for a long time like he was going to be stuck on 49 caps and you know he finished with 70 which is mm-hmm. one more Ireland cup than he's good mate Tommy Bow. Um but so he was giving this talk and he was I, would ima- I can imagine them sitting in like 50 years time and that being just like still great banter I have yeah. one more Ireland cap than you <laughs> Andrew Trimble saying that he's got one more Ireland cap and Tommy Bowe saying yeah but I won what was it five for the Lions so, yeah. <laughs> so he's got 70, 74 I think I know which I prefer to <laughs> Se- have 74 caps yeah um, so anyway yes it was it was after the Saracens um, game and they were doing uh, this thing in the fly that I had to go to because um, I was very much the junior reporter there then, so you would get sent to these things at night. But this is a long, drawn-out story for just the <laughs> so example of, uh, of Andrew Trimble telling a weird joke. I'm not going to lie, I'd forgotten where the story was going about yeah. halfway through. I think we all had, but we're going to get back on track. Okay. The coffee's kicking in here, so... <laughs> um, I'm so just thinking, I don't know if I've set the microphone up right, so we might, if you hear any changes in sound later on, we might be playing about the microphone as we go on, but continue. Uh, okay, okay, so he's asked about uh, coming back into the international fold, and he was like, yeah, you know, all I needed was to get a kidney removed, and the room sort of went silent because they didn't realise it was a joke and thought there were, he was talking about actually needing genuine medical surgery rather than just Declan Kidney had left the uh, the Irish post what, six six months beforehand, eight months beforehand, and he was then back being an Ireland player. Great banter. Top, top banter. <laughs> Great banter. Top banter. The fly did not realise it was a joke. But, uh, but okay. I enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I wish we had enjoyed that story. Johnny, Anyhow, was, in, Johnny um, was in the back of the room absolutely cracking up while everyone else was in complete silence. Well, it was like genuinely half an hour after the uh, Saracens quarterfinal defeat, which was the last game that I was at not in the press box. So I was allowed to be... Uh, to be upset rather than journalistic <laughs> neutral. Well, uh, on the subject of the retirement, St. John Steenson asks on Twitter, were they genuine retirements or was it more a case of their contracts not being renewed? I think the only contract that was actually up was Paul Marshall's. Um, mm-hmm. So none of the contracts were announced last year, so I can understand the confusion. Um, yeah. Paul Marshall, Andrew Trimble and Robbie Dyack all just kept turning up for work when uh, <laughs> if you went off the press releases they hadn't actually signed new contracts but um, Andrew Trimble and Robbie Dyack had another year left so chose to step away Paul Marshall was only on a one year deal obviously he has his family situation which everybody here and everybody else um, wishes them all the best for mm-hmm. in, in the future mm-hmm. um, so I suppose Paul was probably limited in what he could do where he could go that type of thing um, but certainly Andy Trimble and Robbie Dyack had two-year deals that they're only halfway through. Who will ever forget Paul Marshall running under the posts for the bonus point try against Leicester, fist raised in the air <laughs> and diving over? That yeah, is. that was that was definitely the, the Paul Marshall um, moment that would have yeah. sprung to mind probably for both of us. It, it was so classically Paul Marshall, the quick tap penalty whenever nobody was prepared uh, <laughs> on either side of the ball. On either side of the ball. And all of a sudden, Ulster had that bonus point try. It was brilliant. Yeah, like the, the quintessential Paul Marshall, much in the same way that the quintessential Andrew Trimble was coming up out of the line. The quintessential Paul Marshall was looking down at your laptop to, ta- to type something and then realising that Paul Marshall had tapped and went quickly from a penalty <laughs> when nobody else was looking yeah. and he had haired 10 metres up the field. Yeah. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But, uh, I mean... <laughs> 
I per- personally have, will have an awful lot of fun memories of watching yeah. watching Paul Marshall play. Definitely, I really like him as a player. Um, the tempo that he's able to bring off the bench, um, and like people forget that it's not that long ago. You know, you're talking 2013 that Ruan Pinar was away with South Africa to start the season, obviously playing the rugby championship, and when he came back. Um, 2012, 2013, I think I'm right in thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an awful lot of talk that the best thing to do would be to have PR play 10 and Marshall play 9 because he was mm-hmm. playing so well. And, you know, that's when he, the season that he finally got his, um, his Ireland Cups, mm-hmm. um, playing, in the, playing away to Italy and then on the summer tour to USA and Canada. So I think, I think Paul Marshall's maybe one of those players that it's almost sort of fashionable to... Um, bash if you like sometimes but the tempo that he was able to bring in the last 20 minutes to games was often the difference and you mentioned that last year it was often the difference between um, getting a bonus point and not getting a bonus point like it was it was often high risk high reward yeah. and there were obvious times when it didn't go right but you know Paul Marshall was the first person to put his hands up when it didn't go right as well mm-hmm. like I remember chatting to him in Claremont um, on the way back from that game and just talking about at that stage their hopes of the quarterfinals weren't over and he was like oh you know it just it would all be so much different if we had that one more point and we would have had that one more point if it wasn't for what I did in Bordeaux and like you know he was always accountable in that way Mm -hmm. when it didn't work out and just it sounds very cliche because we've said this so much recently with the players that are retiring, but just a great a great guy as well mm. as a, as well as a great servant to to Ulster Rugby. Well, a few more news items we need to go through, and um, before we really get tore into the listener questions, I'm sure yeah. everybody at this stage has seen Neil Best's tweet from um, Monday afternoon. He said that rumours are circulating that Ulster Rugby CEO Shane Logan may be gone as soon as the end of May and a former player has been identified as a replacement. Now, along with the over 200 people who liked that and 56 who retweeted it, I was very intrigued. I went, what's going on here? So, what's going on here? Well, I'll tell you who the former player isn't. Um, it's not any of those players that are mentioned on the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was just flicking through them there. Going through the comments. We're not about to plenty see... Mentioned. Um, Mark McCall. McCall leave a director of rugby post for a chief executive post. Like to people, I think there's maybe a misunderstanding of the role of a CEO, yeah. <laughs> and that it's a business position. You need a than, lot of business acumen that I think Mark McCall does not quite have. I, I don't think <laughs> that's no disrespect. To Mark no, no, McCall. no it's disrespect just, at all. <laughs> you know, it's like they're two completely different things. So mm. it's not a case of you're going to see somebody like. Uh, McCall, Humphreys, Ferris, all these people that were mentioned yeah. suddenly become the chief executive. That's that's not not the way it's going to be. They could give it a go, but they probably <laughs> wouldn't do as well as people would like them to. Kieran O'Kane reckons that now the BBC aren't televising games that Jim Neely's a shoe in for it. I would uh, lend my support to that. That's a scoop that. there. I yeah. would absolutely lend my support to that. Um, no, it's not. The player's not Jim Neely either. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Shock? I'm, I'm shocked at that. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> when the microphone's turned off? Yeah. If we, if we know how to turn off the microphone. Exactly. We may not. Well, we know now then that Ulster have one more game left um, this season that they're going to host the playoff against Ospreys on Sunday 20th at 5 past 3 at Kingspan Stadium. So um, since I had written my little permutations piece last week then as to whether or not that would happen, I didn't actually really pay attention to what was happening. So <laughs> how, how, what, what happened? Which of yeah, the many things? You absolutely love permutations, but I you're not really that fussed on the actual... <laughs> well, like, like it was Irish Cup final weekend. I have proper sport to be reported. No, I'm only joking. I'm only, I'm only joking, everyone. We're absolutely oh. never going to hit a thousand listeners again. That's, that's <laughs> which, really we should mention you we got the 966 this week, which was particularly gotten. I yeah, wish so just, if there's 35 E's out there that would go yeah. Bring a friend. Didn't listen. La- didn't listen last <laughs> week. Um, they just want to hit play and then stop. It really. Yeah, that'd be lovely. That'd Back be to lovely. the matters at hand. Anyway, yes. Uh, which of the many permutations then went against Ulster? All of them. All oh, right. Good. Um, Not all of them yet. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> we still have well, the Champions Cup final to be played. If that could go wrong too. If there's one thing in Racing's corner right now after losing Mashinota injury, it's the fact that. Uh, 
all the other permutations went against mm. Ulster. Yeah. So, you They're know, going for the clean sweep. They, they've got that working in their corner. <laughs> um, yeah, it fell part of the first hurdle, really, because um, after last week, Gloucester's performance to at home to Bath, just mm. before Ulster played Monster, we had sort of said, was uh, a bad forebearer of what was to come <laughs> the next weekend because they stayed in sixth but needed to take something from Saracens or Gloucester, or sorry, Bath not to beat London Irish with a bonus point. And neither of those things seemed likely and so so it proved. So okay. what, by about six o'clock it was yeah. uh, it was done and dusted yeah. for the playoff and then Poe ended up finishing eighth in the top fourteen anyway, despite uh, mm. despite winning because mm. the other teams above them all won as well. Um, so yeah, we told you it was very unlikely, and uh, we were was. right because yeah. we knew things. Um, <laughs> one final point then on that playoff game, we did discuss it, but plenty of people chatting on social media. Season tickets um, not eligible for this game. Why? Uh, it's a Pro Fourteen game, so season tickets. Do not count because it's not technically an Ulster rugby game. It's a Pro 14 Championship Series. I think I'm giving that the right uh, yeah. the right title there. So basically, Pro 14 are running the game. They're in charge of the allocation, which includes a larger than usual allocation for the away team, which they may or may not take up. But um, very much the same as if Ulster were playing an away semi in the RDS, just using that as an example because it's the last one that actually happened, mm-hmm. and also then get an allocation of tickets, so on and so forth. So you couldn't actually have it as part of your season ticket because they might not have enough tickets and you might have to sit somewhere else because <laughs> of the allocation. So there was a 20% discount, I believe, given to season ticket holders. Um, Looking at you, you're not talking to any, any of your family about whether they're... My family aren't season ticket holders anymore. Oh, of course. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That opens up a, a whole other debate. I, other people I feel on season ticket <laughs> 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 You forgot that. I feel like we swung back to March where we're talking about season ticket <laughs> renewals. Yeah. Um, Let's not go down that lane again. <laughs> uh, that, that was a rabbit hole then. <laughs> um, but Adam, you uh, then, as we know, love to go to all things rugby. And in your search for rugby last weekend, you found some with Ulster Juniors. I did. Someone said to me, as I was there, you would go to the opening of an envelope. And <laughs> it's hard to describe with that. Uh, but yeah, I went to Ard's Rugby Club, where Ulster Juniors were taking on Connacht Juniors. And they won 29-19. Uh, so that means, thanks to their win over Munster the week before... They are now going up against Leinster Juniors this week at the University of Ulster up in Coleraine for the chance to win back-to-back interprovincial series. So, okay. congratulations to them. They Maybe be- we should just have our podcast around them in the future if they're that good. That'd be more <laughs> well, cheery to talk about. They only play three games a year. Yeah, so. It doesn't give us much podcast material, does no. it? Mm, we really have to justify the expense of this new microphone. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I, don't think, uh, I don't think nah. three podcasts would do it. Plus... Uh, any players to give a special mention to them? Uh, well, I was really impressed by the Ulster number eight, David Clark. Uh, he was a fantastic ball carrier, really strong guy, really powerful. And whenever you've got someone like that who can always make yards, that's really good. I thought uh, the scrum half, Lee Steenson, he was really good as well. Uh, he, you know what? He had a tap and go try, which really reminded me of Paul Marshall because. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't like he went particularly fast. He just saw an opportunity where Connacht turned their backs and weren't ready, and he went for it, and he managed to get over the line, and that was fantastic. Yeah, like he's he's been a good player for Demore for a good while. Mm-hmm. Like he's obviously, I think he had a wee bit of all Ireland league experience as well. Um, but no, like even going back to when I was covering junior before five years ago, like he was uh, he was a good player for Demore. So. Mm. So they they certainly have a a good team there, and I was speaking to the coach Richard Boyd, who said they're a very tight knit group. They're uh, they're really enjoying the rugby, and hopefully this week they can uh, make it two from two. Oh, Sorry, to... three from three. Oh, yeah, my of, course, of course, <laughs> but we're going to hear two championships uh, from two. two championships from two. There right. we go. See, so recovered. I think that's what I was well. meaning, and yeah, yeah. got it completely again, wrong. Yeah, you could have played that off, but now you've admitted to making a mistake. It's all it all comes with experience.
Right, into your listener questions then. I mean, it's a listener question special. We're 20 minutes in and we haven't really dealt with too many yet, so we better start. <laughs> well, we, we, we take a few. <laughs> we, did, we, take, we take a few. Here we are, though. Fast and furious with the listener questions. First one, Liz Fraser asks, with all the absentees from the squad next season, how are we going to replace them all? And will supporters be asked to bring their boots? Oh, it'd be fun to see some of the patrons in the, on the terraces being asked to play. <laughs> that would be a great crack. <laughs> Um, well, like Dean McCartney was sitting like six rows in front of us um, at a recent game. He's still like he could do a job. So there, there's a back row. There's one. I'm talking about some of the boys in the terrace. That's okay. <laughs> I can see doing a little rally lining up somewhere. In the weekly, <laughs> weekly donut. <laughs> no, the weekly donut's not actually going to be uh, hiding at fly out. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real, that's a real twist. <laughs> in terms of the squad, Ulster are doing what they said they were going to do for a long time, and that's making a bit of a call to open up a few more avenues for young players to come through and they've been trying to do it towards the end of the season uh, by keeping guys out of the team bringing up academy guys instead and I think this is now just making sure there aren't any players in the squad who are being left out for these academy guys to come through so it's not a huge surprise that this is the case I think we're still going to see a couple guys come in uh, me for next season uh, just to sort of fill out a few glaring gaps I mean the, you're looking a bit short at lock and at scrum half uh, behind John Cooney but for, for the most part this isn't a massive shock that Ulster are trimming the squad down just to save a bit of money keep those young guys coming through and make sure that there's there's not sort of a a staleness in the squad where it's just same old same old it's keeping it fresh like Brian had sort of flagged this a few times um, most recently um, in an interview with myself and Adam when we were up at Queen's what was mm. that about six weeks ago yeah um, when he was talking about the desire to have a smaller squad and the key thing that resonated with me and something we talked about before on this podcast was to more rigidly plan how the younger players are exposed to the first team environment mm. so you're going to have a situation where you say right we want to get Matt Dalton 10 games whatever here's how we're going to do it and you can do that a lot more if you don't have people in his way mm. who say are not going to be Irish international players but are still experienced pros on a contract so I think what we're seeing is a trimming of those types of figures from the squad um, not for any minute suggesting that the players that are leaving are the average players because you wouldn't say that about you know Bo uh, Trimble whatever mm-hmm. but just in general that's that seems to be the ethos behind it the mm-hmm. idea behind it that you want to minimise the amount of players that you have of that profile and replace them eventually with younger players get them the minutes that they need and if you find yourself short of players um, say during an international window or what have you then Bryn Cunningham also mentioned the idea of even bringing in players from the club game which Mm. he said he didn't think was necessarily a bad thing so you're looking at that of would you rather have a journeyman pro who's not going to progress or take a chance on a younger player or even throw somebody in from the club game and see if they can excel thrown into the deep end or whatever. Mm. Like, personally, I think it's a good idea. I think it's what you need to do if you're going to develop a squad that can challenge for silver. You need these young players you need to find out what you have in these young players because we've heard an awful lot about how good everyone thinks they are but we, we mm-hmm. need to see how good they are. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to see how they play and not see how they play away to Zebra or away to Kings or whatever when there's 12 changes made to the team. You need to see how two or three of them do in a first choice or near enough first choice 15 in a home game rather than just say we're going to make wholesale changes for an away trip that uh, we think we're going to win anyway so that to me is a smart way of doing things like we've mentioned the way that the All Blacks do things of how they integrate 
young players into the team in first choice 15s and they might have one of them you know how many changes the All Blacks make um, game to game and it's actually a very high number because they're always rotating to build that squad depth that's what you need to do mm-hmm. um, just to, I think the question there mentioned about the depth and w- the one thing that I would say is the depth at some positions makes it surprising to me that like you know if you're talking about Aaron Cairns leaving and Paul Marshall retiring then what have you got at scrum half and especially if John Cooney ends up getting Ireland Cups which we mm-hmm. think that he will do like you maybe are short at scrum half and that's why it would be surprising to me not to see somebody like Paul Marshall offered another year on his deal but in general talking about the principle that they seem to be going with of trimming the squad down to a much smaller number because it's something we've seen a lot of other clubs do especially in England to try and combat the salary cap where they're trying to concentrate the quality into a smaller number like I think it is a good idea I understand that people are apprehensive about it because the squad looks so much smaller than in years past at the moment Ulster have 39 players on the books I foresee at least three leaving of that group so that means you're down to 36 so that is a very compact squad and as you say there, there are a lot of gaps that are appearing like you've only got four locks on the books and that's including Ian Henderson you've only got two scrum halves you've only got two fly halves you know the, it's, it's trying to work out where those players can come through and make an impact while at the same time making sure you have that group of pros that you can turn to and say well look we need you guys to lead these players on because at fly half where you've got Johnny McPhillips and Pete Nelson they're not exactly the most experienced Joe McPhillips has shown a lot of promise in terms of talent but in terms of experience he's not going to be a massively vital leader to the likes of Michael Lowry or Bruce Houston coming up through. Um, And in the same way, on the wing, okay, you've got Gilroy and Stockdale, but again, neither of them are hugely experienced. Both are vastly talented, but they're not hugely experienced. So for the likes of Rob Little coming through, and you're going to have Angus Kernan coming up into the academy as well, they're not going to be providing vast amounts of experience. So it's making sure that you strike that right balance and making sure that everything's going to be... Uh, well, you're going to make sure that you're not just throwing these guys into a squad alongside other young guys. Basically what Johnny was saying, you can't just put, say, an entire front row of academy guys into a game and say go out there and try your best. You need to put, say, the likes of Tom O'Toole in beside Rory Best and Andy Warwick, you know, so so that you have that experience beside him to say, okay, that scrum maybe didn't go your way, but here's what we can do next time and we can improve. That's what Ulster have to try and make sure that they've got the right balance. They've got to make sure that they're not putting these academy guys in for the sake of putting the academy guys in they're putting them in at the right moments see like you talk about 36 players there but you know that's 36 senior player development players I'm guessing yeah. yes so those gaps in this squad theoretically are to be filled by people getting games from the academy you know yes so you know you talk about scrum half and saying there's only two scrum halves in the books once Aaron Cairns comes off contract the third scrum half in that scenario is somebody outside the 36 because the third scrum half or possibly the second scrum half is uh, Johnny Stewart. Yeah. So yeah, that's just an example of the idea that's there. But I agree with you 100% where you talk about you have to get that balance right. I would look at, say, Munster and use the example of Billy Holland as somebody who has that experience, knows exactly what it means to play for Munster and is pretty much a constant throughout the season because I know like he won a few Ireland Cups throughout the last couple of seasons but by and large he's not involved in the Ireland squads at the minute so he's there throughout the season as an example of what um, 
young players need to aspire to be in terms of the work ethic and showing what the jersey means and the age profile of what the Ulster squad is now um, and you're looking at losing leaders who weren't in Ireland squads but who had the experience uh, when you talk about Dyack, Trimble, Bo and Paul Marshall so you need somebody to sort of fill that void I mean Darren Cave's still there as an example of um, somebody who can be a sort of standard driver in what it takes to be a success at this level of the game but you really need to look to your NIQs there because mm-hmm. you need the Issa Nasewa figure because mm-hmm. um, you can't just have this situation where Rory Best comes back in in April yeah. sits everyone down and says look what's been going on when I haven't been here <laughs> It's not good enough. We, yeah. we need to back up our ideas these last four games here. You know, you need somebody to be doing that throughout the entire season. This is where this is where that buzzword of culture comes back in. And you're looking at that squad and you see two guys in that squad who've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and that's Darren Cave and Chris Henry. Yeah. That's two players in that squad who have been at Ulster for so long and know exactly what it means to be a part of Ulster. Because you've, two, like, two like, players you've, lost, you've lost seven or eight of them in the last like twelve months, yeah. which is a mad number. Well, now thinking the, about those standard drivers, could Jared Payne ever come back to play again? Like, obviously, he'd be there as a coach if not. But could do we see him putting on the shirt again? Bard S asked that. Like, um, to be honest, um, I think we'll see Jared Payne doing an awful lot more coaching than we see him playing. Like, he, I think he can have a big influence as a coach. I think we've already seen the influence that he can have has hard as a coach but I don't think you'd be including him in the group of senior players that are going to be on the pitch um, next year So is that experience then something that I mean loads of people were asking about signings and positional signings so you wouldn't get in looking for some gossip as sports (laughs) fans love to do but is that experience then something that Ulster need to be looking to with prospective signings I think the unknown quantity here is Marcel could see as well Mm. Because Marcel Katsia can be that standard driver if he's able to play. Like he, he can't do it if he's spending the entire season rehabbing. But if Marcel Katsia is there on the training paddock day in, day out, then that's instantly somebody who can say, look, I've got 27, whatever, Springbok caps. Um, this, is how, this is how you do things. But you talk about because, you know, Ulster have had it for years um, with Pienaar, Johan Muller... And just the professional element that was brought in through those NIQ signings. But the, the age profile now where you don't have like an awful lot of players between... Or really an awful lot of players over the age of 27. Mm. Um, who have had massive amounts of success in the game anymore because of all the players that have left recently. So absolutely, I think when you're looking to bring in players, that has to be a part of it, of you want to sign leaders, but I think anybody would want that. Like, you want to do that anyway. You, you need someone, as we've been saying, you need someone who's going to be there for every game that isn't going to be away with Ireland, mm-hmm. but can drive those that leadership. And Marcel Cazia is the perfect one. A lot of guys have come out and said how much uh, they appreciate his leadership within the squad and how much... They appreciate what he tells them. And imagine being able to look up during a game and seeing him on the pitch and thinking, right, he's busting a gut to get the job done. I've got to be doing the same thing for the guy beside me. Elster needs someone... They need more of those guys. Um, they, 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 Rory Best when Rory Best's not here. Well, that's exactly well no, the, the, this, <laughs> is, this is what I'm saying. They've got, they've got Rory Best... But he's going to be messing with Ireland yeah, exactly. so many times. They need someone while he's away, like Marcel Cazia, like Billy Holland from Munster, who's going to come in and he's going to say, right, this is this is what we have to do to be Ulster while all our big names are away. You cannot be relying on Rory Best, as Ulster have done this season. You cannot be relying on him to come back and whip everyone into shape because otherwise we're just going to go through another season of, oh, well, Ulster look half-decent before the internationals go away. The internationals go away and Ulster turn into a completely different team. I think it's very important to note that we're just not pulling stuff out of the air here. You know, like, Rory Best and other internationals have said that they've come back in to camp with Ulster from Ireland 
and they've admitted themselves that the standards aren't the same. Yeah. So it's like this isn't just pie in the sky thing in here where no. we're talking nonsense. Like yeah. this is something. And the results back that up as well. I mean, yeah. yeah. And then the last four games, you have the conversation about that Ulster are undefeated in the last four games. Um, and it's Rory Best that got yeah. everyone together after the Cardiff game and said, look, we need to draw a line in the sand. So you need to have that sort of constant, and that's yeah. why probably Johan Muller is so revered mm-hmm. around here because you had that perfect balance in years past, Ryan as well, obviously, where you had people who could be that standard driver yeah. Um, when the internationals were away. Well, just before we leave, then the signings um, topic very quickly. Have we got any gossip, Joey Carberry or otherwise? Joey Carberry as gossip certainly looks a lot stronger than it did previously. Mm-hmm. Um, over the last sort of week, um, it's just slowly building momentum. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll it's like I, the Gerard I, to Rangers thing when you first saw it you were like oh, that's a good rumour it never happened though and then over time <laughs> you're like oh well, hang on <laughs> yeah because I mean that's even what the, you know John Gibbs came out and said after well only two weeks ago really I've, I think it's a good story but <laughs> yeah. I don't know about the substance um, but obviously it's something that's gaining a lot of momentum you're hearing less and less chat from just people around the place talking about um, imports a 10 mm. it's an interesting one to be honest I think because I know an awful lot of people aren't particularly keen on the idea but if it means you can have Joey Carberry at 10 and obviously he's not the finished article he would need to develop mm. but Ulster haven't had a finished article at 10 since the last time Paddy Jackson played for them so mm. you know Lele Fano came in and did a great job for that short-term period, but you were still talking about somebody who's played most of their rugby as a 12, and a very, very good 12, playing at 10. So, while the wood Joey Carberry is still a work in progress, obviously he's only 22, and has not played an awful lot of 10 this year, as has been well-documented, and missed time through injury this year. But, if that then allows you to sign and then I queue somewhere else, say in the second row, then I could certainly see massive benefit to that. Thing from is, an Ulster point of view, obviously you can see the benefit from an Irish point of view yeah. to get Carberry minutes yeah. at 10. The, the more you talk about it, the more it makes sense. I was going to say for all parties and then you sort of think about Leinster. For, for most parties, I mean, for Ulster, you get a fly half who's proven, who can play at a high level as you said he is a finished well no, not completely finished but he he is a proven player at a high level Johnny McPhillips will still get time below him while he's away in the international window or Michael Lowry who's still getting re-interviews despite being out for an entire year uh, for Ireland they now have Carberry playing 10 at a province hopefully in the Champions Cup for Leinster, it allows Ross Byrne to play a bit more. I know he's been playing a lot, but it allows him to play a bit more. Carberry plays at 10 while he's away and then potentially moves back. You know, you can see the upsides for everyone involved. And then after a year or two years or however long Carberry's there, maybe he decides to stay, we don't know. But then you can maybe go looking for an NIQ 10 if or... McPhillips or Larry are ready to take over. You know, there's a lot of ways to look at this, but the more you think about it, the more that does actually make sense. I think it makes the most sense for Ireland, and I'm going to say yeah. it makes yeah. 100% Absolutely. total sense for Ulster. Purely because Carberry is not the finished product, and if he was coming up here, he would still have an awful lot to prove at 10, but Ireland cannot go into a World Cup in 2019 with their backup 10 playing two games a year at 10 and they're yes. at fullback but to put um, a positive slant on it that I know an awful lot of people up here don't have Carberry has an awful lot of potential to become a good player but if it means not signing somebody who's already 
a finished article and a very good player, then I can understand why people would be um, apprehensive about that. But you have to look at it in terms of what else it allows you to do with your squad. Because mm. for me, 10 is obviously an issue because it's a hugely important position on the pitch and you were not expecting to have to replace the 10 that you had for another seven or eight years mm-hmm. because that was the quality that he had has. Um, but you also have glaring holes in that squad to me elsewhere that need filled mm-hmm. too. So if you're putting it as are you better having an NIQ 10 and that's it or is there a package there where you're saying you have Carberry and an NIQ lock for mm-hmm. example then you can 100% see the benefits of that. There's also the fact that getting Carberry would take the option to the table of panic buying a 10, an NIQ 10 off the table because we went through all the options recently and you know there aren't any obviously standout 10s that you'd love them to get. So No, the best 10 on the market was Savoaga. He signed for Wasps months ago. So Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of um, players departing, or people departing, needs for replacements, um, Carvis Corax or something like that, um, is asking, has the search started for a replacement Sparky? Which is arguably the most important of the lot. We'd hope so. It's what's, <laughs> it's what's keeping me up at night. Um, <laughs> I'm ready for auditions. I'm doing cheerleader routines at home. Are we sure that Norman doesn't own the Sparky suit? Like, <laughs> is he going to take that with him or leave it behind? These are all questions that we need to demand answers to. These are these are the important questions. He should have been. You know, I yeah, was expecting you've a, taken your eye off the ball. I was expecting one. a quiet week over the last seven days, and that just didn't happen. Yeah. So for, for all I obviously know, got distracted. But for all we know, Sparky retiring means Sparky has retired there's going to be a new mascot next season I mean Bristol have already jumped in there and said uh, they're, not, they're now the Bears so Ulster can't even claim to be the my word the, 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 the most prominent bear mascot in rugby anymore you know so there's that to contend with there used to be the Ulster Ravens do you think we'd get a giant raven walking <laughs> around the edge of the pitch <laughs> I don't think yeah. that would go down well with, uh, with, with sponsorship given that the Ravens had to be ditched because mm. yeah, touche because it's not called Raven Hall anymore. <laughs> exactly. we can maybe get a king one yeah. <laughs> but I mean let's be honest and these are the stories that people want the answers okay. to well um, Andrew Trimble retired with a year left on his contract he's the only man that has experience of being in that Sparky costume it's true all the two pieces are falling into too much of a coincidence <laughs> I think so it all makes for an interesting summer on to the weekly Dono then um, Dono's asked a couple of questions over the last uh, couple of weeks we're sort of a week behind on the weekly Dono but we can mash these together and um, because it sort of neatly sums up the sort of limbo that we're in before this playoff he first asked have Ulster regressed on paper um, and then asked but under the circumstances could it actually be an okay season? I want to tackle the second part. Has it been an okay season? No. I've, had, I've had a terrible time, just speaking personally. <laughs> <laughs> I've, yeah, not, I've, I've not enjoyed it one bit. I'd, I don't think you can say this has been an okay season, even under the circumstances, because coming into the season, we very clearly stated that finishing outside the playoffs would be a disaster of the season for Ulster and lo and behold they finished outside of the playoffs but looking back was that realistic with the the way the the squad was the players that have been absolutely it should have been absolutely it should have been realistic and I know Ulster have had distractions off the pitch and they've had injuries on the pitch but this was a squad who should have been finishing in the top three of this conference without a shadow of a doubt Edinburgh have improved, Benetton have improved, let's not downplay what they've done by uh, any circumstances, but Ulster have the squad, they have the players that should have been in a position to finish in the top three in that conference, and they haven't, and they could end up missing out on the Champions Cup as well, should they lose to the Ospreys, which would turn this into an unmitigated disaster, like that would that would be terrible. Yeah, like we can't judge the season as a whole because despite the fact that we're sat here in the middle of May, the season's still not <laughs> over yet. Well, if, if uh, they were to get a win against Osprey. If they were to get a win, then I think you can take it as you got away with 
minimal damage from a season that perhaps not solely in terms of results, but looking at everything as a whole, certainly feels like the worst season that you've ever had, yeah. just from the amount of things that went wrong mm-hmm. throughout the year where you were just like, Ugh. again, <laughs> something else. But the point that like the point that Dono makes, I'm guessing, is that if you look at it in compare and compare it to seasons past, like you didn't have Marcel Cotsia for anything more than what fifty minutes of the season, which was the same as last year. Yeah, but you also don't have Ruan Painter anymore. John Kenny's been brilliant. We'll get to that. But and you didn't have Paddy Jackson at all, or you didn't have Jared Payne. No. And Rory Best played what ten games for Ulster due to a couple of injuries and. Ireland, he was always going to miss time for Ireland, but you didn't necessarily expect the hamstring and the the foot problem. So, for my money coming into this, or not coming into this year because Pienaar was already gone, but if you were to take the team at the end of last season, what you had, those are your five best players. Like, Stockdale's obviously mm-hmm. now in that mix, but we've seen it with any team. Like, we've seen it with Ireland at the last World Cup with Argentina you take out your five best players from a team and you're not going to be a very good team anymore really or you're going to lose an awful lot so the problem with it is or the problem with that line of thinking is Ireland were going to get those players back after the (laughs) World Cup um, in the most part with the exception of Paul O'Connell Ruben Pienaar's not coming back Jared Payne's not coming back Paddy Jackson's not coming back. Um, Rory Best isn't going to play 30 games a year for Ulster. And Marcel could see his fitness. All the signs there are good. Um, looking at where he is now and how he feels. But you're relying on that. So when, <laughs> when you take that into consideration, how little rugby those five players played... Um, in comparison to years gone past, then I think what we're seeing or what we saw could have been predicted. Like it was always going to be a massive issue to lose that amount of talent. By and large, with the exception of Rory Best, for your entire season. The other point to make, and we'd actually looked at this last week, but we never really got around to talking about it, um, 16 wins from 27 games, 59%. So you've won 59% of your games. 18 wins from 31 games would be 58% of your games. Right? So why it doesn't feel like it? You're saying, right, but like, we're just trusting your maths on this. <laughs> well, we're trusting my calculator maths because I haven't done a sum since uh, GCSE. <laughs> but... Um, one of those seasons is this year, the worst season in living memory, TM. And the other one of those seasons is the year that Ulster got to the Heineken Cup final. So you're talking about 1% difference in terms of winning percentage, and it's actually higher this year. You know, you won more percentage of your games this year than you won last year. Again, it's marginal and takes the fact that you won four European games into consideration but you know it's still there you know so you're obviously not at the uh, level that you are at in 2013-2014 when they were winning 70% of the games but I can understand what Donald's saying in the sense that the perception of this season the numbers don't necessarily bear out but what I would counter that with personally is you need to be winning more of your games now and certainly maximising more bonus points because the margins are so mm-hmm. small. It's something that uh, Steve McCluskey talked about a few weeks ago. Like, we're not in a league anymore where there's five good teams and four of them get into the playoffs now. Teams like Benetton and teams like Edinburgh have got so much better that merely being as good as you were five or six years ago isn't good enough anymore. Like, players have 
mentioned and some of the more optimistic fans have mentioned that Munster had a good season and Ulster had a bad season but Munster won one more game in the league than Ulster did mm. and Munster got out of their pool in Europe and Ulster just missed out so like how different does the season look if just a few things yeah. go your way but the key point is that you can't have these things go against you anymore like you can't be getting five points against the Dragons and end up getting three points against the Dragons anymore. You can't afford to make those slip-ups anymore. Yeah. Well, what has no doubt helped those stats that you read out there has been the last few weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing to remember as well. These stats looked horrendous <laughs> a couple of weeks <laughs> yeah. ago. I'm, I'm, us- I'm usually such a stats guy. Like, I'm usually so into the stats and uh, going by them. But at the end of the day, Ulster have finished... Outside of the playoffs, they've finished outside of the knockouts in Europe. They have the, their only knockout rugby is a playoff to get into the Champions Cup, which is never where they wanted to be. No matter what goes on, that's not a good season, oh, in my it's, opinion. It's a, it's almost the eye test or the smell test, if you like. You know, you can justify anything with numbers, but if you're just looking at it, <laughs> then the impression that it gave was certainly not good. But yeah. I mean, personally, I really think the key is that the standard of the league has got better. Mm. And the other thing to remember is, without putting too much of a negative slant on this, the fixtures fell for Ulster quite well yeah. to win a lot of games in the way that mm. the conferences went and the way that the fixture list went of who from Conference A you played at home and who you played away, what have you. So you can't really draw the comparisons anymore. But... To bring us right back before we move on, I understand what's being said because I understand what history tells us about what happens when you take your five best players out of a rugby team. It's not good. No. Well, the reason to bring up the last few weeks, um, Eamon Tully on Twitter asks, does that recent good form stand Ulster in good stead for next season or uh, is it a case of new players... Um, and you have to begin again. I mean, that momentum has to has to count for something at the start of next season. Well, you've does got, it though? You've got does to remember it? that they're not going to play for three months between this playoff and the start of next season, and but, that's that's a long time. And but surely it's better to go into a summer. It's better to go into that break having if they win the playoff. Having thought, cheapers we've just won our last few games there. Good feeling about the club. Good feeling brought into pre-season. I mean, I know it's a football example, but you look at Korean who finished last season in the Irish League really well, lost the cup final, but finished the season really well, came into this season, and all the players now, after they've won the cup this year, have said it was that finish to last season that really spurred us on. We were on a good run, we felt good all summer, and it was that that led us to have a good season this year. But there are a lot of changes at, at Ulster that Coleraine weren't having. You know, Coleraine still have the core of that team from last year, and they have Oren Carney in charge. Ulster coming in next season with Dan McFarland in charge, who is coming in completely fresh and they've got the they've Feeling got a huge start next they've season. got you know a vastly reduced squad with quite a few guys leaving and retiring uh, quite a few key guys uh, leaving so that you're right in that they can take confidence from what they've done at the end of the season into next year and if they get into the Champions Cup that'll be another boost as well because you, you will come in next year and you'll think to yourselves, right, well, you know, back in the last year, we were actually quite good and we proved that we can do, uh, win games and we can be competitive in this league. But at the same time, you know, you, you're going to have teams coming in saying we're determined to put what happened uh, last year right. Or you'll have Edinburgh coming in saying, flip, look at what we did last year. We're determined to do that again. And you've got Leicester and the Scarlets and Munster and Glasgow who are all just ultra-confident in what they can do anyway. So Ulster can take what they've done at the back end of this year into next year, but I don't think it'll have a huge amount of bearing on what'll happen next year. I think McFarland especially will come in, he'll say, look, yes, you did well last year, and I do want you to take it forward, but we're going to have a clean slate in terms of I'm going to come in and I'm going to take a look at you and I'm going to say what I want us to do as opposed to what you were doing last season. So there there will be a good feel factor 
and again, especially if they win the Champions Cup, but will or win? Sorry, win the Champions Cup playoff. <laughs> someday, someday. It'd be, someday. Yeah. <laughs> be some weekend if they win the if they win the Champions Cup. But I don't. I don't. I don't think it's going to have as big an impact as people might think it will. Well, really, it's Ulster's feeders club that might win the Champions Cup. So I mean, we're <laughs> yeah. if we um, if we just move on times, taking away here. So I think it, just oh, right, oh sorry. we're going to we're going to have a debate. <laughs> I just I think under normal circumstances there's something to be said for finishing the season strong and like you know if you lose your last game of the season as Ulster did in years gone by not last year but when they were losing semi-finals and losing games in knockout rugby there is that element of you know it's the pebble under the beach tile when you're on holiday but like I just think with everything that's going on so much change to the playing squad and the fact that a new coach is coming in like this is year one of what is now a three-year project so the last four games of year zero i don't think have any bearing because let's be honest this upturn in fortunes could be that the messages of john o'gibbs as the head man are now being implemented and he's away there's so many players that are leaving and when you come around to start that season again We've spoken about Rory Best. You're not going to have the Ireland Internationals for the first three or four games of the season. You know, you're mid-September before them boys play. So I don't think anything that's really happening now will have a bearing on next season apart from whether they win this game or not. They just need to win the game and Mm. minimise... And the damage, damage. Really. Well, we'll discuss that more um, next week when we build up to the playoff. For now, uh, our next question comes in from Justin, who has been Ulster's player of the season. Um, we actually had we had our media vote for this um, recently. Well, who did you vote for? Can um, you tell us? I voted for. Yeah, it's, it's an open ballot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I voted for John Cooney, um, which I don't think is a particularly left field choice. I would say. No. He's probably favourite to to win it, really, isn't he? Yeah, I would say Mr. Cooney probably uh, will have to be cleaning off the mantelpiece before uh, before the Ulster <laughs> Awards dinner this week. But um, with the Riders Player of the Year, you're sometimes trying to come out a little bit more of left field and acknowledge the contributions of somebody who isn't maybe as heralded and maybe wouldn't win the. Um, sponsors player of the year or whatever so sort of with that in mind my number two on my ballot was Nick Timoney who I think's had a very very good season and I would put up there with um, John Cooney as somebody who can go into the summer feeling pretty darn good about what they've done over the last uh, eight or nine months Nick Nick Timoney would be good for young player of the year I feel I don't think we get to vote for that no, we don't. Um, <laughs> we only get to vote for one award. You get to vote for one award. Um, <laughs> Hit a nerve. <laughs> I, if I'd been asked to vote, I would have gone for Jacob Stockdale. See, because this is the thing. Look, Cooney. This is why the award exists, so they don't just vote for the most obvious guy. Cooney, no, look, Cooney has been great. And I'm I'm not denying that, because and here here come the stats again. You've you've seen all the stats that he leads in clean breaks, try assists, uh, points scored. You need he, he's right up there at the top of all of those. But just in terms of what one person has done this season, Stockdale's try scoring record is unbelievable. He puts terror into defenses. He just has that knack of finding the try line from wherever his confidence has gone up tenfold. And in terms of who are you asking is Ulster's best player? And I, I know I know it's player of the season, but when you ask who is Ulster's best player right now, I immediately think Jacob Stockdale. And I, I, Cooney's had a great year. And I've I've said that, but just I I'm think on Ian Henderson's behalf at this point. <laughs> I think I think Stockdale has just been so good over the past twelve months that I I would just have to go for him. I mean, uh, everyone's entitled to their opinion. 
<laughs> that's just um, a very polite way of saying yeah, I completely disagree. No, like, <laughs> like I voted for Jacob Stockdale third, absolutely. But when I think of like Jacob Stockdale's best moments, and I don't think I'm doing him a disservice here, because he's had an incredible year, an unforgettable year. But in terms of Ulster Player of the Year, like the phenomenon of Jacob Stockdale this year has mostly been for Ireland. Yeah, Jacob and Stockdale could get Ireland Player of the Year. Yeah, and exactly. Okay, player there. And that's, okay that's I understand not, that, and I'll be that's honest, that's something I didn't think of. <laughs> <laughs> Complain about not getting a vote, didn't even think about it. Like, that's not to diminish the contributions that Jacob Stockdale has made in an Ulster jersey this year, because he's been very, very good, obviously. But... I think personally they've been less frequent because Nick Timoney and John Cooney have played mm. so, much, so many more games because they haven't been away um, for three months of the nine months season. Well, we'll see if um, your, the rest of your colleagues agree with you on that one. They um, never do. <laughs> I once presented the award to someone who didn't make my top three and had to just stand there awkwardly. <laughs> well, I hope you didn't like tell them that as you were passing the award. I didn't vote for you. No, as I said, you didn't make my top three. <laughs> <laughs> um, our final question, we're over the hour, Mark, but it's a good one, so we'll squeeze it in. Um, D Harper asks, why do Ulster... Um, I can't really remember right, and I need to remember how he's phrased this. Why do Ulster... <laughs> not want an Ulsterman to take the head coach role or is it that those homegrown Ulster coaches don't want the job? Well, you've got to think about who there is out there. So you've got Mark McCall, Alan Clark, Neil Doak, Jeremy Davidson. All four of them are in jobs. Jeremy Davidson possibly wasn't before... Ulster appointed Dan McFarland, but he was already being headhunted by French clubs, so and he sort of started a life out there. So uh, it was very unlikely that he was going to come back. But is Mark McCall going to leave his Saracens job to come back to Ulster? No. Is Alan Clark going to turn his back on the Ospreys just after taking the head coach role there? No. Neil Doak has already had a shot at the Ulster job, and uh, was determined not to be uh, the man for the role so I'm not sure who you want to come back or who you want to step into the role because there's no one really within Ulster right now who you would say is ready to make the step up to Ulster and there's nobody from Ulster currently coaching outside of Ulster who would be willing to come back and take the role so I it's I don't, just a case I don't, of timing, really. Rather I, than I, don't th- I don't think it's a case of either. I don't think it's a case of Ulster don't want an Ulster man in charge. And I don't think it's Ulster guys don't want the job. As you said, I think it's timing. I think it's just a case of nobody from Ulster is available to take the job. I think in an ideal world, then obviously the coach of Ulster is from Ulster. Absolutely. Sorry. I was going to say I should have got Daniel Silver, but he's not from Australia. <laughs> no, he's, been, he's been here for 20 years, so he counts. Um, but that's just my token Bambridge mention for the week. Really. We haven't been able to finish you or So um, you're looking at it, and because I had this conversation with somebody else recently, it's not that Ulster aren't producing coaches. Ulster, for their size of population, have actually produced at the minute, an incredible amount of coaches who will be heading up professional programs next year. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked about this on the podcast as well before. But if you're looking at that list, like I think personally Jeremy Davidson probably would have taken the job. And mm-hmm. um, he's obviously like, you know, from here, he's still got family ties here. So as much as he's thought of as having built his career out in France... But then you look at all the other guys and it's it would be almost difficult, well it would be difficult one to see which of them would want to leave the job that they're in at the minute to come here apart from the lure of home being the driving factor because by and large they're probably all in better paying positions with clubs who are more equipped for success at the minute. Um, and looking at Mark McCall, David Humphreys obviously is the main ones. Mm. Um, I mean, Alan Clark said something quite interesting recently. Like, um, met up with Clarky for a bit before the Ospreys game when he was here, and um, 
sort of talking about the need to almost go away and prove yourself sometimes. And then Mark McCall is the perfect example of that. You know, Mark McCall was here mm. and people really did not want him here. And now it's like, oh, why can't we get Mark McCall? He's from Ulster, you know, of course he'd want to come back. There's an awful lot of baggage that's gone on with an awful lot of the professional coaches that are elsewhere that would make it fairly difficult to have a clean slate. You know, even even Jeremy Davidson has previously coached um, some of the players that are still in this squad, possibly just one of them now. Um, so it's not like you can say, oh, we're turning down Ulster or whatever, as Adam says, it's a timing issue. Like, I think if you're looking at what Ulster's produced in the coaching landscape at the minute, I think as a province, they can be quite proud of what all of their coaches are doing. They're just not doing it here. Mm. And that is not something that I see changing in the next couple of years, really. Mm. But... I don't think it's a knock on Dan McFarland either that he's not from no. here. Like as we say, in an ideal world, but like I don't think he should have given it to somebody from here just just because they're from here. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that's what everyone's saying either. But I'd, you know. I'd like to know who the asker was thinking of, and I <laughs> I know we don't have the answer, but no, who who, who <laughs> he is, looked at Gareth there like he was going to be able to say. Oh no, that. sorry, no, 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 no not <laughs> like at he, all. He had your man on speed. No. <laughs> But, but gen- genuinely, like, who who was going to come back? You, you've said Jeremy Davison might, well, I think he might come I back. Think, but I think Jeremy Davison's probably the one that people had in their head mm. as somebody where the timing might have been right mm. for him to come home. He was leaving Bordeaux. Um, the guy that brought him to Bordeaux, Jack Brunel, had already left very quickly after he arrived. Um, but then... You know, Breve came in, offered him a head coaching position as well. I think that's been confirmed this yes. morning, I think. Um, a sports manager, which is an interesting title. I'd say it? that's probably just a Google Translate job, is it? Uh, <laughs> it is, yes, but uh, it looked pretty correct. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. Well, an interesting point. Um, if you have any thoughts on it, you can, as always, let us know. And please do keep the listener questions coming in. Um, for next week, easily ask your hashtag. Jeez. And make sure to... Uh, Subscribe on SoundCloud or on the iTunes. Just on that other question about the TV that somebody asked about what way Ulster voted. Uh, I, oh, think, yeah. I think we said this before, but it's a completely Pro 14 decision. Like yeah. Ulster don't have a say in how the league decides their TV deals. Yeah. I was just yeah, that of course off the back of BBC losing the rights and Premier Sport now showing all of the Pro 14 games live next year. Most yeah. of them via, via pay-per-view. Sorry, Adam, I thought you had something to say, but it's fine. <laughs> no, um, so, yeah, interesting questions. One and all, the last one in particular. Maybe it should have been bumped up the uh, order a little bit, but no, we're, not like, we're not like match of the day. This is also <laughs> a rugby roundup podcast. It's quality from the first breath until the last, which is just about now. So, from Adam McKender. Cheers, guys. From Jonathan Bradley. Thank you very much. And from myself, Gareth Hanna, and our new microphone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>